Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we are discussing the war on Yemen with Hassan El Tayeb, the Legislative Director for Middle East Policy at the Friends Committee on National Legislation, FCNL. Prior to joining FCNL in August of 19, Hassan El Tayeb was co-director of the national advocacy group Just Foreign Policy, where he led their lobbying work to advance a more progressive foreign policy in the Middle East and in Latin America. He played a major role in the successful passage uh, of the War Powers Resolution, subsequently vetoed, uh, to end U.S. military participation in the Saudi-led coalition's war and blockade on Yemen. Hassan, welcome to Talk World Radio. Thank you so much for having me, David. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Uh, it seems to be less and less in the news, but what is happening with the war on Yemen these days? Yeah, so we are uh, this month approaching the seventh anniversary of this brutal Saudi-led coalition war and blockade on Yemen. Uh, the, the Saudis have uh, you know, conducted a collective punishment campaign on the people of Yemen for the past seven years with U.S. military support. That support includes weapon sales, uh, uh, maintenance, spare parts, logistical support, uh, and intelligence sharing. So it, it's a, a deep tragedy as the world is watching the tragedy of Ukraine. I think it's an also important to remember that there are other wars, wars going on uh, and civilians are paying the price because of imperial aggression and we have to stand for people wherever they are. I will also add that the Biden administration came in on a promise of ending U.S. support for the Saudi-led war in Yemen. Uh, you know, myself and so many of my colleagues and advocates, including yourself, I imagine, were, were maybe hopeful um, that that we were going to see a significant change on the ground, on the facts on the ground. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the participation continued. We still provide maintenance, spare parts, logistical support. They are couching a lot of this as defensive support. And unfortunately, the Saudis have taken that to mean that they can continue their devastating campaign on Yemen. Well, that's sort of, I mean, aside from the usual propaganda of any party in any war, it's sort of uh, due to President Biden having announced a sort of kind of pretense of ending the war except certain exceptions, right? He wasn't going to any longer do offensive war making, only defensive. What, what actual impact did that announcement have? So I want to give them some credit. They had a few important changes at the beginning. They lifted a foreign terrorist organization designation on the Houthis, which would have cut off humanitarian aid to uh, you know so millions of people, and that would have been a disaster. So that was one in the, the, the good column. Uh, they also restored humanitarian aid to all parts of northern Yemen, which is where the Houthis are in control in 80% of the country. Um, that was another good one. But this offensive-defensive distinction, uh, you know, was never clarified. Uh, Congress, uh, Rep. DeFazio actually sent a letter with 40 other colleagues in the House asking for clarifications. What is the Saudi blockade? Uh, is that an offensive operation or a defensive operation? According to Bruce Rydell, that is an offensive operation that's, uh, you know, that is, uh, you know, collectively punishing civilians you know, causing some of the massive humanitarian, uh, you know, 
catastrophe that we're seeing with 16 million people on the edge of famine, 2.3 million children suffering from severe acute malnutrition and, and will die within weeks or months if they don't receive urgent care. And this is as a direct result of Saudi Arabia preventing the free flow of goods like fuel, like medicine and people into the country. So unfortunately, the Biden administration's uh, announcement you know, gave the appearance of change and, and but was more like a, a publicity stunt that didn't really meaningfully uh, have an impact on Saudi Arabia's behavior, if anything. We've seen Saudi Arabia escalate. Uh, in, in January and February of this year, we are seeing the, some of the bloodiest months of the entire war. Saudi Arabia, uh, one, have, has not let fuel into the country, and that's causing hospitals to basically collapse and food prices to increase. Uh, but we've also seen devastating airstrikes. Uh, we saw one airstrike or one air raid, I should say, on a migrant detention facility. Killed 90, wounded 200 more. That same week, they launched air, more air raids and more airstrikes at a reservoir, cutting off water to 120,000 people. So this war, if anything, has gotten worse under Biden. And the U.S. military, as you say, is it's not just U.S. weapons companies providing the weapons, which are a huge percentage of the Saudi military's weapons, and they have a permanent U.S. weapons sales operation in Saudi Arabia. But the U.S. military is participating uh, in this war, right? Yeah. So the Biden administration, they they told us uh, that they ended targeting assistance, which is a step in the right direction under Trump. We had ended mid-air refueling, so we're no longer fueling the warplanes doing the bombings, but we're providing something that maybe flies under the radar for a lot of folks, uh, but it's spare parts and maintenance that are critical for F-15s uh, to do these bombing runs, and they, they, they rely on the steady supply of these spare parts and maintenance. Now, there's a, you know, there are private uh, corporations providing this assistance, but they're all overseen by U.S. military officials on uh, Air Force bases in uh, Saudi Arabia. And they're, of course, all approved by the State Department, all approved by the, the DOD. So we have a huge role to play in this ongoing, uh, on this ongoing conflict. And I think it's really important to, to know that the, the people of Yemen they see this as the U.S.-Saudi war on Yemen, not just the Saudi Arabia war on Yemen. So it's, it's com we're complicit in the eyes of, of people, the people of Yemen who are experiencing this daily onslaught. I imagine the eyes of many people around the world as well. Um, you talked about the risk. What, what do we know about the casualties uh, already over a number of years? Yeah. It's horrific. The UN has called this the world's worst humanitarian crisis. Uh, and that is because this blockade is, you know, leading to mass starvation. I mean, we have almost half a million people have, that have died since the start of this war, most of them civilians, and most actually were killed from indirect causes, like not having uh, medicine, food, fuel. So, you know, absolutely devastating. And we have leverage. This is the key. We have leverage to do something about this conflict right now. The situation in Ukraine, uh, you know, there is some things we can do, but limited leverage. The Saudi war in Yemen is something we have maximal leverage over. And we can make a difference in ending the blockade and ending these airstrikes. 
huge amount of the weapons uh, come from the United States in the case of both of those wars. A uh, huge influence of the United States on the Saudi government, and I would think even more so on the Ukrainian government, uh, that if the United States were to empower the Ukrainian government to negotiate on things like U.S. sanctions, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure why you say the U.S. has, has little leverage uh in that war and a great deal of leverage in the saudi war i think in comparison we are directly supplying uh you know the saudi where'd you go in the saudi blockade uh I, we do have a lot we do have leverage over the war in ukraine but i'm just saying that the war in yemen is unique because we could end the saudi airstrikes today if we wanted to uh, good point. I, I lost contact there for a minute, but I think it'll end up uh, okay. Um, th this is actually an anniversary coming up this week of this uh, phase of the of the war on Yemen, not counting the the drone war that came before, right? Yes. So on March twenty five, we are going to be see. We're going to then enter the eighth war, the eighth year of the Saudi led war on Yemen. You know, originally the Saudi led coalition, they called it Operation uh, Decisive Storm because they thought they were going to come in and, you know, and win this war against the Houthis within a matter of weeks. This has dragged on and on and on. And U.S. military participation is just, uh, you know, extending the, the horrors of this conflict. Is there, you know, we used to see pretty significant anti-war rallies every March 19th uh, during the, the war on Iraq. Uh, those seem to have ended, even though there are still U.S. troops in Iraq. Uh, what, what sort of opposition to this war are we seeing globally and in uh, the Middle East and in the United States uh, and, and other countries providing the weaponry? So I, I do want to say that the American people do not support this war. We just saw a Data for Progress poll that showed well over 60 percent of the country uh, Republicans and Democrats, when polled, said they don't want to support weapon sales to Saudi Arabia. So there is, a, you know, the public opinion is definitely with us on ending support. We have also got Congress. Ha, ha, they've taken several steps to actually end participation. And in 2018 and 2019, they forced several votes on Yemen war powers resolutions and also joint resolutions of disapproval. Uh, to end weapon sales, to end this ongoing participation. Those passed. We got a bipartisan majority in, in, a, in a moment where Republicans and Democrats don't agree on much, but they agreed to end the support. Fortunately, Trump vetoed that resolution. Uh, provisions from the Pentagon uh, policy bill, the National Defense Authorization Act, were stripped out, and this participation has continued. Unfortunately, now that we've got Democrats controlling the White House, controlling the Senate, controlling the House, uh, there's been a reluctance to really, you know, you know, push back on this. Um, and, and a lot of there are some that not not all, uh, but there are some that actually agree with this distinction between offensive and defensive. And, and they'll tell you, well, we support we support ending the offensive operations, but these defensive operations can uh, need to continue. And to that, I say. Uh, you know, what we're doing by providing any military aid to the Saudi coalition is sending them a green light and a message of impunity that they can continue this collective punishment uh, of the people of Yemen via their airstrikes, via the blockade, 
And that is prolonging the war. And if we really wanted to be a good ally to Saudi Arabia, if we, uh, you know, we would actually help them end this war so uh, we could see this conflict uh, and the humanitarian crisis and, and, you know, bring some stability back to this region. We're speaking with Hassan El Tayeb, who works at Friends Committee on National Legislation as Middle East, uh, as director for Middle East policy. Hassan, let me give you my, uh, what it looks like to me, and you tell me why I'm too cynical. Uh, it looks like to me that when Trump was president, the U.S. Congress counted on the promised veto passed for the first time in history, used the War Powers Resolution to try to end a war, counting on the veto, had it vetoed, and then with a Democrat in the White House, preferred not to do anything uh, so as not to compel a Democratic president to do anything. Uh, I mean, it's like the, the legislature in California passing single-payer health care coverage every time the governor is a Republican. But whenever you get a Democratic governor, oh, no, we won't bother with that for a few years. Uh, you know, am I, am I too cynical, or is this the scam that's being perpetrated on the U.S. people at the expense of the, of the people of Yemen? Well, that's a very good question. My job is to not allow that to happen. I will say that we've got a couple representatives that do want to take action. So I'd like to lift that up. Rep. Jayapal and DeFazio have announced their plans to introduce a new Yemen war powers resolution. They said that they want to get this thing on the on the House floor uh, and, and introduced as soon as the last week of March, first week of April. So. This is a privileged resolution that will see uh, floor action. And I think this is exactly what we need to do is call the question. You know, uh, there are a lot of people maybe behind closed doors that support it, don't support it. But we need to get this out in the public. I've noticed on this particular, um, you know, issue is that when we do things in the public because of the backlash people feel at home by folks that are saying, why did you just vote to support uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the guy that killed Jamal Khashoggi, the guy that brought you the most devastating uh, you know, humanitarian crisis on the planet, why are you supporting them with weapon sales and military support? So that, I do think, is important, that we get this on the floor, we force the question again, in this really unique circumstance where Democrats control all of these uh, branches of our government. Are you too cynical? I would never want to say that to you, David. <laughs> Well, I would not object to you saying anything that you think. Uh, the question is whether you think it. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's there's a lot of political pressures, uh, you know, on Democrats right now. It, you know, um, and this would be a controversial vote voting against uh, the president of the United States. But I do think there are some winds blowing in our direction. I think, uh, you know, the way Saudi Arabia has you know, refused to take Biden's call. Uh, you know, to, you know, help, you know, stabilize the energy markets around the world. Obviously, the escalation of bombings by the Saudi-led coalition. So this is going to be an interesting vote when it does come to the floor. And to, to be frank, I don't know how it's going to shake out. We just have to keep pushing. 
Is there is there any sort of opportunity in this remarkable, unforeseen situation, at least unforeseen by me, in which war victims are given sympathy on U.S. corporate media, albeit in Ukraine, uh, and you actually are seeing videos shown to the U.S. Congress in the U.S. Capitol of war victims and how horrific war is, albeit exclusively in Ukraine? I mean, is it possible? to begin communicating to the U.S. public that there are war victims in Yemen very much like the war victims in Ukraine, where you've learned to care about them, where they're human beings, just like the human beings in, in Europe. Is there is there any, oh, I mean, why is nobody's social media icon turned to red and black flag colors uh, as well as blue and yellow is there is there an opportunity to start doing that so i think this is such an important question and to just to say from the outset i really believe that the coverage that we've seen on the mainstream media has been extremely biased and and and, and racist even I, i've seen uh, people say that, well, you know, this isn't like, you know, the Middle East or Syria. Uh, these people are, you know, this is a civilized country. Or this isn't like, you know, Syrians getting uh, gas with chemical weapons because this is Ukraine. This is, you know, on European soil. And it just, you know, makes my you know, stomach turn just to hear this, these comments in the mainstream media day after day. Um, and yes, there are wars going on every, you know, all across the planet. And they're all bad. Uh, you know, civilians are being hurt. Civilians are worth the same, uh, at, you know, in Ukraine as in, as in Gaza, as in Yemen, as in Iran. And, you know, so there's a lot of hypocrisy going on. Uh, I think there is an opportunity. Uh, you know, we can certainly we're having this converse, conversation today. So I think that's part of the, you know, part of the solution is is using this. Hey, while the world's looking at Ukraine, there's this other conflict going on. And, and, you know, I think more people are tuned in to how important foreign policy is right now and how, you know, foreign policy disasters, uh, you know, in Eastern Europe and in the Middle East can have real world impacts right here at home. So I think that's important. Uh, and we have to keep making these connections for people. And we have a lot of work to do on the education side. Do, do people in Yemen know that the u.s media cares about war victims now and the the u.s government seems is suddenly against invasions and attacks and occupations now does this does this get through to them you know i saw a heartbreaking meme by uh, a yemeni it was a it was not a meme it was actually a cartoon and it was a person in yemen holding up a ukrainian flag and saying maybe they'll notice us now Right. It broke my heart. You, you know, this is exactly how Yemenis feel. Uh, they feel forgotten uh, by the world. You know, a long time they've called this the forgotten war. And it, it's because, you know, and, and as a result of this, you know, you, you see a lot of people like losing hope that, that people care or want to make a difference. Uh, but there are, I will say that a lot of activists mobilize on this issue around the country. Uh, you know, for, for what it's worth, the whole FCNL Quaker network across the country is lobbying on Yemen war powers resolution uh, this year, all of 2020. We've done hundreds of lobby visits uh, where we're doing LTEs, op-eds, and now is a real moment to, you, you know, say, okay, we stand against 
imperialism and aggression in, in Eastern Europe and Ukraine. Um, well, we need to stop supporting the Putin of the Middle East, which is Mohammed bin Salman, as he you know, wages this collective punishment, this war and blockade on the people of Yemen. What can what can other people do who want to help uh, in the United States or wherever they're they're hearing this, uh, who want to do something to move governments in the right direction? Yeah, uh, we need to build support for this Yemen war powers resolution. I can't stress that enough. If you live in the United States, if you vote here, if you have uh, two senators and a representative, even if you don't, even if you live in Washington, D.C. and just have one representative, we still need support for this Yemen WPR, uh, this War Powers Resolution. So I would suggest that people pick up the phone, call 1-833-STOP-WAR. It's a number that we've created that will connect you with your lawmakers. It'll, it'll give you a sample script. Tell them that you want them to co-sponsor the Jayapal DeFazio War Powers Resolution. And finally, end U.S. complicity in this humanitarian tragedy once and for all. Why do you think the, the sponsors of the resolution in both the House and the Senate last time uh, when Trump was president are not to be heard of anymore? And we have new uh, supposed sponsors in the House not introducing a war powers resolution, but announcing that they will someday. Um, what, what is what is uh, what is holding up uh, the people who were all supposedly for this uh, when Trump was president? Well, that's why people have to pick up the phone and call. I mean, I, I think it's really important that those same folks are getting pressured. And the, the politics have changed, like, like we discussed earlier. Now that you've got a, a Democrat in the White House, uh, the dynamic has changed. Some people agree with the administration. Okay, well, we support uh, defensive sales. And, 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 you know, there's a whole bunch of different viewpoints. Uh, you can buy that or not. Uh, but... I think our job here is to increase the pressure on lawmakers to get on this bill. I'm hopeful that we will be able to build uh, bipartisan majorities in both chambers if we keep pushing, uh, especially focusing on reps in the House right now, because that's where I think this whole uh, legislative effort is going to start. And what is the, the impact, uh, apart from the media impact and the political impact in Washington of the of the war in Ukraine being uh, having everyone's attention and doing so much to change uh, relations in Europe and uh, and around the world? What how, if at all, is this impacting Yemen? Well, I'll talk about the politics and I'll talk about the humanitarian situation separately even though there, there's a lot of inter, uh, interrelatedness going on there. The politics, Ukraine is sucking up all the oxygen out of the room in Congress. You know, they're always distracted, running around doing different things. But, um, yeah, everyone's focused on Ukraine. Uh, you know, they are doing letters, they're doing resolutions, they're doing sanctions. Um, and to try to carve out a space for other issues like the starvation in Afghanistan, like the war in Yemen, like the suffering of Palestinians in West Bank and Gaza, like situations going on in Ethiopia and the Tigray region, in Myanmar, et cetera, et cetera. It's really a difficult situation right now. We're, we're trying, certainly, you know, we can make these comparisons about how we need to protect refugees wherever they are, you know, not just blue-eyed, blonde-haired Ukrainians. Uh, so we're making those points. 
Um, but obviously, it's sucking up a lot of the attention, and, and that's something we have to you know, fight against. Obviously, we want to de-escalate the situation in Ukraine, support a diplomatic solution, support off-ramps, support a ceasefire, uh, you know, not support endless weapons into the country. So we have to push on that at the same time. The humanitarian situation in Yemen is getting a lot worse because of this war in Ukraine. Ukraine, as many of your listeners probably know, uh, ships out a lot of wheat. They are you know, stabilizing the world wheat supply. And as a result, uh, there are countries all over the Middle East, including Yemen, that are not getting their needs, needs met. Um, and as a result, I, I've, I heard from the UN that we're going to see famine numbers increase by five, the, the times five. This is a, a devastating tragedy. Uh, I also saw last week, you know, as the world is, you know, spending billions on Ukraine, um, the UN uh, summit to get, you know, essentially $4 billion in humanitarian aid for this year came up well short. We just got over a billion dollars. The United States contributed about half, um, half a billion, which is a step in the right direction, but not nearly enough to cover the humanitarian needs of the people of Yemen. But one thing I always say is that humanitarian aid alone will never be able to support a population of 30 million people. They need an end to the war, an end to the blockade, a nationwide ceasefire. And that's what we got to do. It, it's... I mean, apart from a, a speech I heard that Congresswoman Omar gave on the floor, uh, it seems these issues of people in other countries, thousands of miles away, uh, being doomed to starve uh, as a result of this war, they just don't enter into people's calculations. It's a good war or a bad war, depending on uh, whether I've heard about it at all in the case of the war on Yemen and, and whether the, you know there's propaganda around an evil dictator on the other side. In the case of Ukraine, uh, and and yet the military spending, apart from the wars, year in year out, uh, I know FCNL has opposed massive military spending bills, uh, doom people to starvation every year uh, because of, of resources going into into militaries instead. Uh, can we? How can we change this conversation, David? That is the you know. $750 billion question. <laughs> and just for folks' uh, reference, that is how much we spent on the Pentagon last year. Uh, you know, probably, and then there's obviously even more expenditures in other accounts. So what we need more than ever right now is a massive growth of the peace movement. <laughs> we need to transform the way people think about foreign policy, the way we think about imperialism, understanding that if you care about climate, if you care about refugees, if you care about all these domestic issues, that foreign policy plays a massive role in everything that you care about domestically. And we need to have this intersectional uh, mass movement. I, I don't think without, without that, I don't see it changing, um, but I think it is possible. We just have to get down to business. We do indeed. Uh, Hassan El-Tayeb, how can people keep up with you, uh, get in touch with you, uh, get involved in what you're working on? Yeah, well, first off, David, thank you for all the work that you've done, you know, putting this show together, but all your writings, commentary, all the activism that you've done for so long um, and paving the way for people like myself. Uh, 
if folks want to keep up with what I'm doing, you can follow me on Twitter, Hassan El Tayeb is how you find me. You can find me at the FCNL website, fcnl.org. But more importantly, call up your rep. Make sure that they hear from you about ending this war in Yemen, one eight three three stop war Thank you so much. Thank you. We've been speaking with Hassan El-Tayeb, who is with the Friends Committee on National Legislation, FCNL, and previously at Just Foreign Policy. Hassan, thank you for everything you're doing. Keep doing it. Let us know how to help. Uh, and thanks for coming on Talk World Radio. Thanks, David. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.